Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. On today's episode, we talk to a scientist to find out the real meaning of bioplastic. And we learn about how Adrian Grenier's organization Lonely Whale is tackling plastic waste. And what's really so bad about plastic straws. And it's not about just getting stuck in a turtle's nose. Right, even though that would hurt really bad. Oh, of course, gross. And we also talked to the Earth Day Network who brought us Earth Day, the holiday. That's right. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. And the chair you're sitting in is plastic, too. And the headphones. And, yep. Hey, Brian. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for covering for me last week. I was working on this commercial thing in the desert in California, and it was super awesome. But because I was busy, you ended up picking up all my slack. You made last week's podcast, which was awesome. I loved listening to it. Because I wasn't involved in any of the process, I learned so much about calendars. And that was super cool. And then I thought, you know, it was New Year's. It's about calendars and how behind on making my calendar I am. Right. And because of that, you also you also handled a lot of the research for this week's podcast. And while I was away, Andy made bioplastic, which I thought was super interesting because I didn't know there was any difference. But you really dove deep into this. In working with Andy, I first learned about what bioplastic is, you know, and that it comes from Nat- it can come from natural polymers, natural sources, but it can also come from petroleum, which is the major raw material that plastic is, it comes from. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, for this podcast, we wanted to kind of investigate the general, you know, the greater world of plastic and how we interact with it. One of the things I realized is that when I think about plastic, I kind of think of it as this big, you know, amorphous thing. I kind of look at plastic in all one as all one category. That it's all bad. I don't like it, but it's kind of necessary and it's hard to avoid it. But when I, in my mind, when I think about bad plastic, obviously it's like the packing peanuts, which mm-hmm. you know, and styrofoam. You know, some of these things that have been singled out as being particularly gnarly, mm-hmm. and a lot of those things have been uh, dealt with. But then. It seems like the latest plastic that has has gotten a bad reputation is straws. Which is kind of surprising because straws seem like a fairly innocuous piece of plastic. I Okay, I have this thing for straws. I think it's because I like curly Q straws growing up. But um, I love iced coffee, usually from Starbucks, as we've established in previous episodes. But I went to Starbucks on my way back, and they didn't give me a straw. And I was kind of confused. And then I remembered. I was like, oh, wait, straws are bad. But I have no idea why. Right. Like, I understand that animals can choke on it or, like, kids can choke on it because there's always choking warnings. But I don't understand, like, as far as, like, all the terrible things that we do for our environment and are poor stewards of, uh, it seems like straws are a weird thing to single out. It does because if you think about, like, a milk carton, you know, floating in the ocean, that seems like it's much more, 
of a of a problem. One thing that I've I am very militant about is anytime I get like a can, the rings, the mm-hmm. holders, oh yeah, I cut those up because I've seen the images of like the the seagulls and birds getting caught up in those things, and it's just it's heart wrenching. Yeah. So, but why would they ban straws? Uh, you should find out because there's got to be somebody behind all of it, and there's got to be a good reason. But first, let's find out from Andy a little bit about the history of plastic. In my last video, you saw me attempt to make plastic out of a few different materials. In that the polymers used to make plastic can come from a few different sources, including biological sources I experimented with. However, a large majority of the plastics we use is derived from petroleum. Let's dig a little deeper into its history and impact. Humans have benefited from the use of polymers since at least 1600 BC when the ancient Mesoamericans first produced natural rubber into balls, figurines, and bands. In the intervening years, we have relied increasingly on plastics and rubber, first experimenting with natural polymers from horns, waxes, natural rubbers, and resins until the 19th century, when the development of modern plastics began. Because of the low cost to produce, versatility, and durability, plastic quickly replaced traditional materials for everything from toys, to medical supplies, to food containers, and building materials. But plastic's incredible durability is also what makes it most dangerous to our planet. On average, it will take a plastic water bottle between 400 and 1,000 years to completely degrade, and some polymers, like styrofoam, even longer. Of the 8.3 billion metric tons of plastic products we have produced since 1950, it is estimated that at least 6 billion tons of that has become waste. Of that waste, only 9% has been recycled, with the majority of the waste ending up in landfills or as litter. 80% of ocean plastic pollution originates on land as street litter, garbage blown out of landfills, or illegally dumped trash. And due to its lightweight nature, plastic is often lighter than water, which keeps it floating on the surface rather than sinking. One of the most shocking symbols of garbage in our ocean is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which lies between Hawaii and California. A total of 1.0 trillion plastic pieces were estimated to be floating in the patch. A plastic count that is equivalent to 250 pieces of debris for every human in the world. It is predicted that by the year 2050, there will be more plastic in the oceans than fish. Today, nearly everyone, everywhere, every day comes in contact with plastics, especially with plastic packaging. Plastic packaging and so-called single-use plastics constitute 40% of the total plastic waste. Single-use containers are most often used in the food industry as food containers, plastic wrap, or drink bottles. Well, the invention of single-use plastic has benefited society greatly, improving medical care, giving us tools to keep food fresher longer, and to deliver emergency supplies to disaster zones, it has also led to our disposable economy. If you think about it, you're most likely handling and disposing of plastic packaging and utensils several times a day at least. A single-use plastic item is used for just minutes before being discarded. While the problem at times seems insurmountable, there are concerted efforts going on to address it in various forms. Cities and countries around the world are beginning to ban the use of styrofoam, plastic bags, plastic straws, and stir sticks. Single-stream recycling programs are making it easier for people to recycle and are increasing the types of plastics they accept. And scientists have discovered a plastic-eating enzyme which may be able to decompose plastic on a large scale. But the research is still in an early stage. Many polymers are being developed out of a renewable source and with the express purpose of being biodegradable. Some companies are even making packaging out of edible materials so that once they end up in the ocean, they help wildlife instead of hindering it. And a rediscovery of traditional materials for food and beverage containers is on the rise. We'll be back with the rest of the story right after this. 
As Andy mentioned, cities and countries around the world are banning certain plastics such as plastic straws, stir sticks, and plastic bags. But I was curious why they picked these items to ban. What made them particularly nefarious? So I reached out to the organization that was instrumental in getting the city of Seattle to commit to a full ban on single-use plastic straws. Lonely Whale was co-founded by actor and environmentalist Adrian Grenier. You may remember him from the HBO series Entourage. His organization specializes in generating viral awareness and impact campaigns around environmental issues affecting our oceans. Uh, I spoke with the executive director, Dune Ives, to find out more. At Lonely Whale, we have three active campaigns. Our first campaign is the continuation of Strawless Ocean, which is what I think we're most known for. In 2017, we launched the Stop Sucking campaign, which was our global social media campaign that encouraged everyone to stop sucking on single-use plastic straws. Um, Very exciting. It went viral. We were in over 40 countries in just a few months. It was natively localized in more than 25 languages, which was amazing. And we also did our Strawless in Seattle campaign. We continue to support policy makers that are interested in advancing progress beyond single-use plastic straws and other plastics as a result of that Strawless in Seattle campaign. So we're tracking all the policy change that's happening globally. And it's really amazing and inspiring to see how many city, states, and countries really tackling single-use plastics, starting with that straw, but then advancing progress beyond. So this is a good place to define what we mean when we talk about single-use plastic. As defined by the United Nations Environment Program, single-use plastic is defined as disposable plastics commonly used for plastic packaging and include items intended to be used only once before they are thrown away or recycled. These include, among other items, grocery bags, food packaging, bottles, straws, containers, cups, and cutlery. What we know about plastic straws um, is that when they enter the ocean, they break down into what's known as microplastics. It's a very thin plastic. You know, what's interesting about straws is I think most people think that straws are recyclable. What we know is that none of the straws are recyclable. And biodegradable plastic straws are just like plastic straws. Unless you're fortunate to have an industrial composting facility in your neighborhood, which most of us aren't. And unless you're fortunate to have the facility and to have the humans who live in that community understand how to get those straws into the right bin, which most of us don't. (laughs) So any straw that makes its way into the marine environment, biodegradable or otherwise, is going to be breaking down into microplastics. I think it's important to understand that microplastics become almost a source of food for many marine creatures. So we've seen the straw in the turtle's nose. We have seen images of beautiful wrasse, these fish and coral reefs nibbling on plastic. You know, so we know that the marine environment is actually ingesting, animals are ingesting those plastic. So that's the great harm that it does. According to the UN Environmental Program, unlike metals, plastics do not rust or corrode. Most plastics do not biodegrade, but instead photodegrade. UV exposure from the sun breaks down the plastic into small, tiny bits called microplastics. I saw one frightening statistic that said that there are 250 pieces of microplastics in the ocean for every person on the Earth. Can you give me a stat on like how many straws or how many pounds enter the ocean every year? Between 4 and 12 million metric tons of new plastic enters the ocean every year. We know that straws are consistently found in the top 10 items of single-use plastics found during beach cleanups. 
Um, so one could presume that straws are part of that 4 to 12 million metric tons. It doesn't represent the vast majority of plastic going into the ocean, but it does become that gateway conversation starter to then open up our eyes to, well, what is causing the problem in the ocean? Talking to Dune helped me understand that something seemingly simple like banning straws not only can reduce the amount of plastic entering the environment, but the ripple effect through the supply chain is what can have the bigger impact. This summer, Starbucks announced that they were going to phase out plastic straws from all of their locations worldwide by 2020. You know, I think all of us have their own opinion about the Starbucks announcement around straws and the adult sippy cup lids. Um, but what that announcement did is it sent a signal to the supply chain. And that signal was, if you're in the business of making single-use plastic straws, you, you should probably start to rethink what you're doing. Is that the right business to be in? Because we just shifted in a pretty significant way, and we're not going back. We've been hearing about the giant island of plastic floating in the ocean and efforts to design new technologies to clean up the ocean. But so far, these efforts are not guaranteed. So environmentalists are targeting plastic before it even gets tossed in the trash. We're trying to stop plastic from getting into the ocean in the first place. That's always been kind of a cornerstone of the work that we do, that we know once it's in there, it's almost impossible to retrieve. I think we've all been watching the Ocean Cleanup Project by Boy and Slatch with great hope that it's going to work and it has to work. I want to see them get back in the water and try it again. And they're having a lot of technical difficulties. So our mission is to turn off the tap of plastic and keep plastic out of the ocean and in our economy. We have to do that because it's, otherwise it truly is a waste material without value, but we believe that material has value and we believe that we have to stop the flow of plastic into the ocean today. We can't wait until 2025. We have to, everything we do is really focus on how much can we keep out of the ocean last year and this year, and then looking towards 2025 as a way to report impact back. Next, I wanted to find out about recycling and what kind of impact that was having on the issue. I don't know about you, but while I've gotten really good at recycling my glass and paper waste, I still get flummoxed by what kind of plastic I can recycle and what state it has to be in. I reached out to David Ayer. Research and Communications Associate at the Earth Day Network. Yes, the folks that brought us Earth Day to help with the discussion. I mean, the irony is that a lot of single-use plastic is used for food, and and yet a lot of the recycling companies do not accept plastic that has food on it. Do Do you have an answer to how to kind of bridge that gap? Recycling is 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 an issue certainly, um, especially when it comes to plastic, just because of the the variety of it and the difficulty of recycling it in general. There's also a, a huge amount of variation just city to city in terms of what they can and can't accept. So some places will take plastics with food waste on it, uh, while others will not be able to recycle it. So to answer that, what we encourage all of our followers and everyone to do is both learn as much as they can about their own municipalities, recycling capabilities. What do you need to do? Do you need to rinse your certain things off or are they capable of doing that themselves? I think we all have to become better at recycling. I mean, I I just, hands down, we're horrible at it. We're horrible. (laughs) We're so bad. (laughs) Um, And yet I also think that it's a pretty archaic industry. If you think about it, it's never been innovated. Why, why is it the way that it is right now? And it's not, if it's not working, it's broken. So why don't we fix it? Why don't we look at ways to really advance progress beyond where we are 
to where we need to get to and and get some more innovation rather than shoring up what we have let's leapfrog this whole waste management infrastructure situation that we're in right now because clearly it's not working in the united states we've been holding steady recycling plastic at nine percent since 2012 it's no different than anywhere else you know globally we're at nine percent so there's something really broken about the system so i do think we have to get much 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 better at collection and recycling and i also think that industry has to want to actually be part of the solution. And when you want to be part of the solution, you're looking at more than just one product that you can convert away from single-use plastics. You're looking at your entire supply chain. And you're also leaning in with consumers to better understand how they can really help support our goals to have convenience because it's not going away. And to to meet us where we are consistently. So in my mind, for the longest time when I heard the term bioplastic, I thought biodegradable. How many of you thought the same? Anyone? Anyone? I wanted to find out if the future of plastic was bio and what kind of impact that could have on the problem. Lucky for me, we just did a video with somebody who could help me learn more. I am uh, Guillaume Do. I am a uh, graduate student at the University of Minnesota, specifically in the chemistry department. And my uh, graduate school research um, focuses primarily on sustainability uh, in the plastic paradigm. And uh, with that in mind, my research is funded by a center known as the Center for Sustainable Polymers, which is a national science foundation-supported Center for Chemical Innovation, of which there are plenty across the United States. They often involve multiple universities. So this is, a, this is a type of thing that is being done kind of nationally across multiple institutions. And I am a small part of this ongoing uh, research effort, which involves graduate students, postdoctoral researchers, and, and faculty, and even undergraduates. Guillaume helped me understand that while terms like sustainable and made from renewable sources is considered an Earth-friendly approach, on the creation end of making plastic, that doesn't always apply to the life cycle of that product. So I just want to clarify a few things about these these so-called buzzwords, but you know they do have they do have technical definitions. So the first one I want to just cover is sustainability. What does that mean? Um, there's a pretty classic definition of sustainability as meeting the needs uh, of the present without compromising those in the future, something like that. So in the plastic sense, I think sustainability can be broken down into three distinct categories. They, they can be exclusive of one another, or you can have a product, like have two of the three characteristics, for example. The first one is recyclability. That one's the most intuitive. We know what recycling is. Um, but that's a sustainable practice because you keep the value of the material um, around. You know, you keep, you keep the value by keeping the material around. So recyclability and, I guess, reuse falls into that. And then uh, renewability is the feedstock, something that we can renew on the same time scale as we use the product. And the third one is degradability. And degradability could be composting. It could be biodegradability. Those are distinct. Maybe we'll talk about those later. But the key point is that the end-of-life... Um, fate of a plastic should not be that it persists forever or, you know, effectively forever. Degradability, renewability, and uh, recyclability, I would say, are the three components of sustainability, just to be clear about the words that we're using. Um, I would consider hitting any of them more sustainable than not. 
and that's the key thing, I think, is when people say, oh, is this plastic sustainable? It's like, yeah, maybe. I mean, if it hits one of three, that's good enough for me. You just have to be very clear which one it's hitting. I think the biggest thing uh, that people confuse, for example, is that a bioplastic is a sustainable plastic and therefore it's probably degradable and it's probably based on renewable feedstocks. And that's not true. A bioplastic is made from renewable feedstocks, so things like plants and sugars, but it is not necessarily degradable. And so that's a key maybe misconception about what a bioplastic is. Um, but it's still a sustainable thing based on the fact that it's made from plant-based material, which is more renewable than fossil fuel-based material. The grand challenge, I think, is to make a product that fits all three of those things. That's, that's really difficult, you know, to, to make a product that works as you want it to, but when you don't need it anymore, it degrades readily, you know, wherever you put it. Uh, but if you do want to reuse it, you can recycle it. And by the way, it's also not made from uh, petroleum-based feedstocks. That's, it's really difficult to get all three. I don't think we actually have the packaging alternatives today that we need. So if your next question was going to be, well, what is that? I don't have an answer for you. I, I really don't. I don't. It's not biodegradable. It's just not. I think we need to, to stop with the biodegradable and compostable plastics conversation. That is just, that is, it, it, without the infrastructure sitting behind it and without us as humans being, like, why would we be better at, at recycling biodegradable plastics than we are at recycling recyclable plastics, non-biodegradable plastics? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think we have to, do a massive leapfrog. There needs to be a disruptor in the packaging space. This is, I think, it's a greenfield for and a gold mine for someone who can get that right. It's really difficult to give people an incentive to be more aware of sustainability in, in their plastic use practices when what you're competing against is a really cheap object that you can toss. Literally the motion of tossing the plastic and you forgetting about it is what is being competed with. You can either toss it in the trash, some normal plastic, or you can go out of your way to get a bio-based plastic or, or a biodegradable plastic. And if you get the biodegradable one, you then have to go further out of your way to go to that disposal facility where they'll, where they'll compost it. You have that, you're literally competing against a, a hand moving three feet you know, and throwing something in the bin. And, and instead, you're telling people to do all this extra work. I hear a lot that the reason why companies are putting so many single-use plastic to-go packaging alternatives out there is because that's what consumers are demanding. Um, I will tell you that as a mom of a four-and-a-half-year-old and a woman who runs a global organization and is traveling all the time, convenience is key for me. But when I look at the options that are out there for me to have a convenience lifestyle while I'm on the road and on the go with my child, I don't see a lot of really good environmentally positive options. I don't, I don't see any type of option for me to check out a reusable coffee mug uh, from, from you know, this coffee shop over here in Seattle, where I live at the airport, let's say Starbucks, check it out at Starbucks airport in Seattle and check it in in the San Diego airport at Starbucks. I don't see that. What I see is I see a paper cup with a plastic lid. You know, I don't see food providers that are, are giving me a to-go option in packaging that makes sense for local uh, waste collection and recycling capabilities. So I don't buy that or the story that the industry is telling us. I just don't buy it. 
that I'm the one who is demanding more convenience when I travel and that convenience has to be wrapped in single-use plastic. I'm willing to pay more. I get it. I'm willing to pay a lot more for the aluminum canned water than I am for a plastic canned water. I would absolutely subscribe to a program that let me check out a reusable mug from a Starbucks in Seattle and check it in in New York. Absolutely. No question. No question asked. But I'm not seeing a lot of creativity coming from the industry. One more goal of this, in, this uh, industry, this, let's call it the plastics industry, and then let's go into the category of people that are interested in making their plastics more sustainable, is also the business model. You know, having a company provide a product that can be recycled in a new or more efficient way and provide their, their customers with kind of a, a reward system for giving them back the product after they're done using it, that might be a good way or kind of a, kind of a new goal is to, is to generate new business models that promote more sustainable behavior. I think that could be, that, that, that could be a second goal. I don't know if it's the goal of many companies right now or, or what, but um, I think some companies are starting to think that way. There's not going to be a perfect solution for everything, but the, the idea is there are alternatives to basically anything you purchase. And I think, and we want part of that decision-making process and a large part of that decision-making process to be, well, if I buy this, I'm going to have to de discard this plastic at some point. And when you realize the impact that that plastic has once it's been disposed of, um, that should weigh heavily into your consumption decisions. So as not to leave you with all this information and nothing to do with it, I asked my guest to give some tips on actionable items our listeners could do today to be part of the solution. You'll never see from Lonely Well a list of things you should do because we're firm believers that nobody likes to be shit upon. <laughs> Get that from my husband. <laughs> he says it all the time. Nobody likes to be shit upon, Dan. Stop telling me what to do. And I think that's really true in this case. So, so step number one is get engaged. Decide that this is an issue that you're going to care about. And part two of the individual, what you can do today, is then make a commitment to try to eliminate one single-use plastic item from your life. We think the straw is the simplest thing to start with. All you have to do is refuse it. And you can feel powerful every single day and know you're contributing to it. On an, on an individual level, I think the, the most important place for everybody to start is really just kind of an, a self-evaluation. You know, it's easy to go through your life without even thinking about this as a problem. But as soon as you just kind of take stock, that's the real most important first step. So on our website, on earthdaynetwork.org, we have this plastic pollution footprint calculator. It allows you to just figure out how much plastic pollution you are contributing to the planet every year. After you take that step, you realize that there's work to be done. And once you want to do that work, then we have this plastic pollution primer and action toolkit, which has a whole bunch of uh, suggestions and ideas of ways individuals just in their own lives can contribute less to the problem of plastic pollution. Within your community, you as an individual, once you make that commitment to that single-use plastic item, is then you can tell the restaurant that you go to. You can tell the coffee shop. You can have a conversation with your grocery store about, I'd really like for you to stop. Yes, I know that you can sell those single-use plastic bags. I'd really like for you to stop doing it. And what can I do to support you in that? So you can get engaged with a local business owner 
and help them join you in your your quest to eliminate single-use plastic waste within your community. Nationally, again, all that what people can do is really just supporting and pushing for legislation. There are a number of organizations that are really fighting hard nationally to either increase our recycling rates uh, or address waste management issues um, or to put forward policy change at a state level and at a federal level that significantly impact the amount of single-use plastic pollution going into our marine environment every single day. Support those organizations. Finally, on a global level... You can take part in the Great Global Cleanup that we're organizing. The Great Global Cleanup is going to take place in 2020, and it's our effort to put together the world's largest cleanup crew. And we want people in as many countries as possible going out into their communities and picking up the waste and the plastic waste they see. And that's both going to bring massive um, attention to the issue. It's going to clean up a whole lot of waste and plastic waste. And it's also going to lead to a lot of data collection on what what kind of products are making up most of the, the plastic waste that makes its way into our environment. The global effort is going to happen in 2020. We're going to do a smaller trial run in 2019. Stay tuned to Earth Day Network to see to get more details as that comes closer to when we're actually going to do that because we want as many people as involved as possible. The other thing you can do. Uh, on, on, a, on an individual level that has a connection into a global community is download the Literati app on your phone today. You can go out to your app store, your favorite one, download Literati, and you can start tracking, just taking photos of trash that you see on the ground and litter. And what that does is it loads up into this database that connects people all over the world together to start documenting what they see, where they see it, when they see it. And what we know is that you can't manage what you don't measure. So Literati is literally measuring not just the amount of waste, but the specific kind of waste, where it is, so that that information can be used by policymakers and that information can be used by corporations, should they choose to, to decide to address the waste that they own within their communities or the waste that a corporation owns. That's a very easy way to just sit in your kitchen, get involved on a global level. And then lastly, on a global level, you can also support the story of stuff. Um, story of stuff is putting forward the story of plastic. This is bringing back to all of us, to every single individual, the fact that there is no away. When we throw something away, it goes somewhere. And they're going to be showing us the communities where it goes. And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. It's hard to see it. But the story needs to be told so that we all decide to do more because this is a very solvable issue. So lots of ways that an individual can have impact within their own home and their life, but also internationally without having to travel everywhere and without having to, you know, do the hard work of, you know, finding the organizations. They exist. They're doing the work today and they need your help. Finally, I found it interesting to hear from Guillaume that even though he is actively working on a future solution, he also believes that we should be doing all we can to minimize our use today. As a scientist, I think my main message about the plastics problem would be that 
First of all, plastics are not a problem. They're a solution to problems that we used to have. They're, it's, they're incredibly useful. We're not getting away from plastics. They will stick around. And there are scientists developing alternative, uh, alternative plastics that will hopefully be more sustainable. But the ones that we have on the market now are super cheap to make, and it's going to take a while for, for us to transition to a place where we are replacing what we have out there currently. And so for that reason, what I urge people to do is look at the problem as a very real one in the sense that everything that you touch that's a plastic will end up just think of it ending up in the ocean, almost unadulterated. I mean, that or a landfill, and, and landfills are, you know, they're finite. So what do we do with, with, with uh, all this stuff once the landfills are full? You know, it will end, the plastic will end up somewhere. Just because it goes in the trash doesn't mean it's, it's away from you and therefore don't worry about it. I think the biggest thing is just to think about the small ways in which you might use plastic less. I've started taking my water bottle to lunch I've started washing my Ziploc bags. I started being really attentive of when I take away food, if it's enough to justify a huge plastic packaging, you know, uh, or a, a larger container. Um, and so these little things, I mean, there's maybe more I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but really just the little uses of plastic that you do a lot frequently, that is where I think you can make the most individual impact and, and just increase your awareness in general. I mean, you would be surprised if you really think about it, um, how much plastic you use. Uh, I mean, look, <laughs> I see a, a coffee cup there with a, with a disposable lid on it. You know, I've also started taking my, my thermos to, to the coffee places. It's also cheaper. They'll give you a refill for cheaper than for the coffee. You know? So there's sometimes two, two sides to the, to the benefit. Um, so I guess I would, I would conclude on that. I have to admit that since starting this project, I've already had a shift in the way I view the plastic passing through my hands every day. And in kind of a reversal of what we do on this show, I feel like I have deconstructed this complex problem into some simple actions I can enact in my own life to be part of the solution. I really want to thank Dune from Lonely Whale, David from the Earth Day Network, and Guillaume for helping me to understand where we stand with plastic. We cut down a lot of stuff from these interviews for time. But if you want to hear Dune, David, and Guillaume in full, we'll be posting that audio on our blog at makeeverything.tv. We touch on a lot of other interesting topics which you might be interested to hear. Thank you for listening today. Thank you, Brian and Andy, for helping me out on this episode. Thank you to Studio 71 for making this possible. If you haven't already, please subscribe and tell a couple of friends how much you like the show. If you're looking for more information on what we talked about today, please head over to makeeverything.tv slash simplycomplex or shoot us a message at podcast at makeeverything.tv. Music and engineering was brought to us today by underscore audio.co. We look forward to next time. Talk soon.